0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Red Inca listeners. This is Nick, the producer. Jared is making a good start on his recovery from a broken arm last week. If you'd like to hear the full story, check out the start of our most recent episode of The Wagon Wheel, the Q&A session Jared does every Friday on Spotify Greenroom, which we republish here on Red Inca each Saturday. We're hoping to be back very soon with new episodes, but for now, here is one of our favourites. Andy Balburnie is the current all-format Irish captain, steering them through a recent series against South Africa. Here, Andy discusses the rise through the captaincy, his current test record, and what he learned at Middlesex under the coaching of Chris Rogers. Thanks again for all your patronage and messages of support for Jared. We'll be back shortly. Welcome to Redika. This episode we're going to talk to our first ever Test Captain. Uh,
0: my name's Andrew Balberni and I'm an Irish cricketer and I've been for the last 10 years, I'd say.
1: I haven't just brought Andy on to talk about how great the Irish cricket sweaters are, but it is important to remember that they are incredible sweaters. Andy's career was beset at the start by injury and poor form and really struggling to get opportunities. And now that in fact he's 29, he's really starting to blossom like some sort of Irish flower. I probably should have looked up a famous Irish flower before I started that sentence. But that's really what I want to discuss. The metamorphosis from struggling cricketer through to test captain. What I want to start with is you were a bit of a prodigy. If I'm not mistaken you played 2 under 19 World Cups, is that right? Yeah, I went to Malaysia in 2008,
0: I think it was, and then I captained the side in New Zealand in 2010 and I uh, had two pretty Amazing experiences, I suppose, for any sort of underage cricketer. I didn't do well personally myself, but to lead a team in a World Cup like that, and it got a taste for what could come in the years,
1: playing with some of your best friends growing up, and then getting a chance to pick yourselves against the best in the world. And then not long after that, you signed with Middlesex. Is that right? Maybe two years later? Yeah, so
0: I basically signed for the MCC Young Cricketers for the summer of 2010. And before I went to the Young Cricketers, I kind of agreed a summer contract for 2011 with Middlesex so it was a strange situation because a lot of people go to the young cricketers to get a contract whereas I'd actually signed a contract before I'd went to the YCs but I'd never played in England and I'd never experienced sort of playing three-day cricket week in week out so I think Middlesex were happy with the idea of me kind of finding my feet with the YCs for a summer and I think that was brilliant for me just to go to London and be able to experience London as a 19 year old and find my feet for the year and then I went to Cardiff for three years to study on top of the kind of summer contract that I'd signed with Middlesex.
1: My main question about Middlesex is, what is it with Ireland in Middlesex? You've got Sturlow, yeah. you had Morgan, Ed Joyce, Tim Murta went the other way yeah. as well. It seems like it must be the most Irish county club in cricket history. How does that keep happening? Well, I think it
0: stemmed from Joycey. Uh, he was the first one to kind of go over, I think, in the late 90s, on top of his studies in Trinity College. And he obviously got settled into that side and whether there were conversations about, you know, do you know anyone back home? He obviously, I'd imagine, suggested Owen Morgan. I think Owen had maybe gone over to school for a year or something and played for the school and then maybe played for the underage Middlesex teams. But I think Toby Radford, I, I, my first experience of it was Toby Radford was the academy director and there was a guy in our career club called Peter Damy who was an Irish international and he knew Toby from playing underage cricket against him. And Toby got contact with Pete, I think, and Pete recommended me when I was 14 maybe. So, myself, Sterlow, and another young guy called Graham McDonald, who actually doesn't play anymore, we all sort of played for the underage and Middlesex sides. Did okay, didn't really expect anything to come from it. And then obviously played the under 17s team, and Stuart Pointer was involved there, and we stayed with Stuart Pointer while we were playing. And, and it just kind of evolved from there. They obviously liked the look of us, and it's an easy thing for Middlesex because it was an hour away from home. For us, it was obviously you're playing at Lords and you're training at Lords. and some of the big names that were around at the time. But I think Ed was definitely the kind of trendsetter for Middlesex about the turn of the century there.
1: So you've got this opportunity at Middlesex. You play kind of a handful of games across a bunch of different formats. I think you played two first-class games for them. You played maybe six or seven T20s know, a handful of one-days. But it doesn't quite click for you at Middlesex, does it? No, it didn't. And it's a shame because I kind of
0: felt myself year in, year out, getting better and more accustomed to particularly the long format. And I... I did pretty well at second 11, I was given the captaincy, did well when I got the captaincy, got runs, but I suppose you just never felt close to the side, which was the frustrating thing because I had a month where I'd score maybe a double hundred and a big hundred in second 11 cricket and I was still getting the same messages, you know, keep doing it, keep churning them out and I don't know, just to maybe not get some sort of recognition to be in the squad um, was just a bit, a bit disheartening and I think it was probably In 2015, after I'd done quite well in the World Cup and realised, you know, I could actually play at a higher level and I still wasn't really getting those opportunities was made me when, you know, I obviously got injured the following year, so nothing came of that, but I definitely thought that um, I was at the stage where I could play regular first-team cricket, whether or not at Middlesex or another county. Um, It was quite a funny story. I was playing for Ireland against South Africa A up in Coleraine in the northwest of Ireland. And I remember it was the day before the game. It was raining in Northern Ireland for a change and Hmm. Angus rang me up and said, "Uh, we're playing Surrey at the Oval on Friday. This was a Wednesday. Ollie Reina's gone down injured. We need you to cover him. And I was like, I'm sure Ollie's a bowler who bats at like eight or nine. Hmm. And he was like, yeah, no, we've seen your bowling. we want you to be our spinner at the Oval. I I was like, well, absolutely. Yeah, I'll do it. No problem. But I remember going across and Chris Rogers was captain and I don't think he had seen much of me at the time, but. I don't think I got any wickets, but I, I managed to do a job, but it was certainly a, I, I don't know if it was a great opportunity, but at the same time, it was like, you know, I'm top order basketball. The spin mode was kind of my second, third choice when I comes to cricket, but I suppose you're not going to say no to that. It was a great experience, but unfortunately that was the only taste of championship
1: cricket that I got. And then after that, I mean, you were injured a lot too around that time. Did you have a hip or a back injury, if I remember? Yeah, like? no, I had, that was the kind of. At the back end of 2015, we
0: travelled to Australia with Ireland to Townsville to play at PNG in the Intercontinental Cup and I just had this niggling injury that kind of started in the summer of 2015 I knew I had bad hips generally and you know 2015, I kept getting these niggly injuries but I was able to put them off and had an injection and an ease off here and there. And then we went to the World Cup in 2016 in Dharamsala and it just got really bad, it kind of came to a head and I broke down and kind of chatted to John Bracewell and our physio about it and It was a kind of, look, you just need to get this sorted. There was the surgery available. The surgeon I had spoken to in Dublin, had told me that it was necessary. So then I had to do it. It was quite tricky because I was in my last year contract at Middlesex and I had to go back to London to explain that, look, this is just keeps coming up and and they were very good about it. I have to say they covered the insurance for the operation, which actually happened in Belfast, so it was very well handled. And I think kind of just fell into place the timing of it all. I kind of got my head around the fact that I just had to take the summer off and that's just the way it happened. It was something that needs to be done and fortunately it, it's paid off and that helps give me no trouble at all at the moment. So touch wood, it continues.
1: And, you know, at that point, it was still fairly highly rated. Middlesex was a tough thing to get into. I mean, you talked about, yeah. you know, Chris Rogers being the captain and obviously some very good players who went through Middlesex around that time, but you leave Middlesex, you know, another county doesn't really swoop you up. You don't go on to have a good county career over the next couple of years, do you? For a couple of months, I was really frustrated with that because I didn't feel like I had given county cricket the crack that
0: I wanted to. I, You know, I played a, a lot of 2nd level cricket. and met a lot of great people, played with a lot of brilliant people, got coached by a lot of brilliant people. But I wanted to have that kind of full season of first-class cricket. And I just didn't get that. When I came back from my hip injury at the end of the summer 2016, I went to Sydney to play with Randall Peelisham for four months, which was brilliant just to get back playing. And Noel O'Brien, who's my agent, was, you know, I was kind of always on to him about, you know, county opportunities. And he was like, yeah, look, there's a couple of counties to be interested in going to trial at the start of next year. And I was like, brilliant. Came back from Sydney, went to the Desert T20 with Ireland in January 2017 and had a bit of a relapse in my hip sort of glute area and that put me out for another month. and. That was probably the month where I was like, you know what, I don't think I've got it in me to go over and do the whole trialling and because I wasn't sure about my hip. So I was like, let's just get the head down, get back into the Irish team. Because when I got injured, I was probably out of the Irish 11. So I was like, let's just get my head down and try to get back into that Irish team. John Bracewell is obviously a relatively new coach. So I wanted to kind of show him what I was worth as a batsman. So that month, once I got back from the desert, T20 was the kind of month I was like, you know what, in county cricket, I've done my stint there. Let's just crack on with trying to get into the Irish team.
1: So you get to about the age of 28, and at this stage, despite the fact that you've made some second 11 runs and you've occasionally played some really good innings for Ireland, you don't actually have a huge top-level professional cricket resume or anything, do you? There's not, put it this way, your Crick Info page at that stage was looking kind of naked.
0: Yeah, no, I I completely agree. And it's funny, I've spoken to a few people about this, and I think... I worked so hard to get into the Irish team in 2014. I remember Angus Fraser, because the World Cup is obviously in 2015. And and Angus Fraser, I spoke to him at the start of that somewhere. And I was like, look, Angus, I'm probably not going to be involved in a whole lot of first-team cricket. But with the World Cup next January, I'd love to get back and play in the intro series for Leinster tonight. And now, obviously, that cricket wasn't list A at the time. So it was weekend cricket. So it was probably... A lot of Sundays throughout the summer and he was like, look, there's no problem. As long as you can get back for the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday games for the seconds, or if you're involved in the first, you obviously can't go. I was like, great, that, thanks a lot. So having not done well for Arnold, I saw that as a big kind of time for me to try to stand my authority and, and show that I'm the best kind of batsman outside of your kind of mainstay Porterfield, Sterling's, Joyce's, O'Brien's. So I did really well in our interpro comp, I think I was leading run scorer, had a good average, got picked on a tour to Dubai, managed a good hundred against New Zealand Day probably my best innings still. Maybe to this day, it was my breakthrough innings. Got picked for the World Cup, had a really good World Cup. I finally felt, you know, I've kind of arrived and then for whatever reason, my mentality was really poor throughout that whole summer. I got complacent, I got lazy, I didn't train hard. I kind of took the easy approach, like I'd worked so hard to get to a certain level and then got to that level and just kind of coasted. And that was just a really slippery slope, which eventually ended me getting dropped from the Irish team for the last game of the year in 2015, getting the injury at the start of 2016. And two years probably where I was a bit like, don't be an asshole about this. You've got a brilliant opportunity. You know, you can do it. Don't coast or don't feel comfortable. And that's kind of when I got back to full fitness and was ready to go I just made sure that I'd continue to work hard and even when I got to a place I wanted to get to to kind of not drop off and make sure that I would take advantage of being in a good form and, and being in a good place and like you said I was a bit of a late bloomer and there's a lot of young cricketers in Ireland who you know have been tipped for great things and a lot of names have been thrown about of future Irish captains and Irish top four or five batters but it's interesting because it doesn't actually come to your 28 29 I remember talking to David Milan at year when we played England in Malahide, and it was just Chan Batting and I don't know how old he is now he, around 32, 33 maybe a bit older but he felt like he's playing his best cricket and he's 32 and Ed Joyce is someone who, who thought that as well he was 32 and he was playing his best cricket so it's probably taken me a bit of time to realise that you'll always be built up in Ireland because it's such a small pot people will dig you up and tell you you're great but that sometimes can be a bit of a hindrance and it woke me up a bit that I need to continue to work hard and get to a
1: level that I'm at you know, I, I want to stay out. The Ed Joyce thing is really interesting. So I played with Ed in club cricket in Melbourne when he was about 18, 19. Yeah. So when he came over, we were told this is the best cricketer in Ireland and he couldn't get into our first 11. Yeah. And we were a strong team, but not strong enough to keep someone like that out. Mm. So it is interesting. You see that with teams like Bangladesh as well. So it seems to be a thing with the developing nations a little bit that you see a young guy come through, smashes the ball everywhere. Suddenly everyone in town gets involved and everyone knows everyone in Irish cricket. Let's start with that. Yeah. I mean, everyone is related to someone else. Everyone is dating someone's sister. Um, You know, it was incredible going over for that first test and everyone was like, oh, yeah. I don't know, me and Owen Morgan used to be really close and, you know, they started dating his sister and he didn't talk to me anymore. Those sorts of stories just kept happening. So so how does Irish cricket as a whole, this is sort of going away from your story a little bit, but how do you get to that point where you continue to grind out runs and realise that you're not at the level that you should be? How do you get that to a young, you know, the next Andy Balburnie?
0: Yeah, I think for me, and I've said it publicly, that I think one of the biggest losses is county cricket. For me, I think when I was 19, so post-World Cup 2010 in New Zealand, I went to London in April to start my YC's and I basically spent five, five and a half summers in, in the UK playing county cricket. And I think that was the best finishing school I think anyone can have. I think over here, like I said, you're a big fish in a small pond and everyone tells you you're brilliant. So you're churning out club runs and getting into pro runs. But until you actually go over to county cricket and you're kind of trudging around county cricket, playing in the twos, not getting any runs, um, getting nicked off by academy players week in, week out, that's actually where you do your best learning. You do realize then that you're actually not as good as you maybe thought you were or as good as people thought you were. So experiencing that and having five or six years of that, I think for the kind of 19, 20 year olds now, and look, we have some very, very talented, I mean, Harry Tector, Gareth Delaney, Josh Little, these sort of guys are, Mm. are, are outstanding talents. Um. I think if they had the opportunity to play at that sort of a level, county cricket for three or four years, while also playing for Ireland, who knows where they could go. But it's a good sign from our point of view is that they are performing at an international level, having come through our system and not having to rely on English cricket and the county system. But I think for me and my game and the way I play, week in, week out, playing three-day cricket is what I need. I need a weight and volume of... Of runs of time of minutes at the crease, and I also needed to be told. And I think cricket's brilliant because you can always tell if someone's had a good or bad day. And I think I probably needed a string of bad performances for me to actually go. You know what? I'm actually not as good as I think I am. And because I score runs at club cricket, in Dublin that means nothing when you come of here. And so I had to actually get my head down and work hard and have something to aim to, which was the first eleven in Middlesex. And that obviously never came really for a period of time or a run, if you like. And I suppose because I also wasn't in the Irish team. I made my debut early, but I was completely out of my depth. But I had two targets, Irish team and Middlesex team. So I was always striving. And that's why I was so disappointed when I actually did eventually make it into the Irish setup and get comfortable and be, a mainstay. the fact that I let that go was was disappointing, but I'd learned from that and I think I've become a better player because of it.
1: So obviously you changed your mentality and perhaps the way you prepared. Is there anything technically you changed in your game? Um, I don't think
0: so. I think... A lot of it's for me, It was confidence. It was the realisation that I was able to do it at a certain level. And I think the 2015 World Cup was something that gave me the confidence to say, look, you can do this. Technically, I think you're always kind of tinkering with the game. Technically, you know, for instance, uh, the first Test match in Dublin, I was in great form. I felt I was moving really well. And and then you get a pair and you get LB twice. And then suddenly you can't play a straight ball. And then things are going through your head. And like, do I need to tinker with it? And then you actually look back at the footage and you're like, well, I don't know, maybe it was just a bit of nerves and I was just kind of moving, not how I normally would because you're obviously tense, you want to get going, but I remember chatting to Grand Four and he was just like, look, from what I saw, there wasn't a whole lot technically that we need to change. It was just maybe a mindset and a bit of a nervous thing. But I think technically I'm at a place where I know my game pretty well and I know my limitations and where I'm vulnerable and where I'm strong. So it's taken a while, but I think it's just kind of knowing when to when to use them or when to not. And, and that's kind of the art of batting, I suppose, is knowing when to attack and knowing when not. To, and I think I'm in a pretty good place at the moment.
1: Uh, let's get back to that pair because you brushed past that really, really quick. <laughs> so that was obviously a magical week for Irish cricket. Yeah, I was over there a couple of days before. I know a lot of the people in Irish cricket having, you know, uh, covered you guys quite a bit before. Everyone that week was talking you up as the main batsman, the potential star, And not just people in Irish cricket either, but other people I'd talked to on the circuit. I remember seeing you in the 2015 World Cup and thinking you're a very good cricketer, but then it sort of disappeared for a little while after that and I didn't follow on. But a lot of people who I respected a lot would say, this is a good cricketer. And I'd go onto your record. And as I said before, it looked kind of naked at that point. So you then go on to make a pair just so that we've really got that, so everyone's heard, you didn't make a run in Ireland's first test, which is going to be a great trivia question. still
0: haven't made a run in Ireland.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Even better. But at that stage, from that point onwards, felt like the team was building around you, even though that you hadn't done a lot. You were batting at three, weren't you, in that test?
0: Yeah, I was. uh...
1: Yeah, and the average age of the other batsmen was, what, about 58? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, something like that, yeah. I suppose when
0: you grow up, all you want to do is play test cricket and... And I genuinely believed it would never come. my honestly, even when we were given test status, I was like, no, until we're actually padding up and going out to face it, I won't buy it. The test itself was, like I said, I was in great form. We had a sort of inter-squad game two weeks prior. I got a hundred. We had an inter-pro first-class game. The week before the game, I got a hundred. So I was like, i in a really good place. So I was hitting them well in the nets. But I suppose that's why it's test cricket. It doesn't take into account how much form you're in leading up to it if you go out and you know you're facing someone like Muhammad Abbas in those conditions who is obviously a a high quality bowler at that level you know it doesn't take long for you to be brought down to earth. I suppose the frustrating thing for me from that point of view was just the length of time until our next test so for nearly a year I hadn't scored a test run and it was just like come on like when are we going to play like that's all I was thinking about was how am I going to get my next test run even when we were playing T20s or one day games, it was always sort of at the back of my head, like I still haven't got a test run, <laughs> but it was an amazing experience to be part of just everything involved with it. We said there that you were there, so you understand like I was around it, Kevy getting his hundred and the fact that we actually maybe had a bit of a sniff, I still think we, you know, if Kev had batted for another 10 or 15 overs the next day, could have been interesting on the final day. Mm. But I suppose as a whole, I always look back, I've got a shirt framed in my house with a signed shirt from the game and pictures and stuff. So it'll always be great, I suppose, until someone looks at it and asks me how I did. (laughs) But no, look, it was something truly exceptional and and something I'm very proud to be part of.
1: Now, so far, all we've really done is talk about how poor you were so far in your career. (laughs) Let's get to the magic of the last year and a half or two years. Your next test, take it away. You did okay in the second test.
0: Yeah, I did okay in the second innings. The first innings was as nervous as i ever been in a cricket match. I think my run to get off the mark was as nick through Mohamed Shazad, which is a skill in itself to get through him, through the slips. Um, (laughs) It was kind of weird. I I described it to someone like a weird headspace because I was so, so happy with just getting off the mark that maybe I just kind of lost concentration. And then I suppose the second innings was nice to get runs generally, but I really, really felt that I could have got a big hundred and put us in a winning position, which still to this day, kind of just pissed me off, I suppose, and that and the the World Cup Qualifier final are the two kind of lowest points, even though I suppose the test was the first 50, but really, really points in my career where I was like, if they had gone the other way, it could have been very different. But I suppose in sport, if you spend your life looking back at that sort of stuff, you'll be nowhere. So it was nice to get going in test cricket, I suppose. I'd had a pretty good tour during that Derridden tour. So I knew I was in good form, so it was just about occupying the crease and their threats were obviously spin, and I played them quite well throughout the series, so I knew what to expect, and it's just a shame. Like I said, I couldn't get a big hundred, and hopefully have led us to a test win.
1: You've talked a lot about confidence and feeling like you belong. There must be a certain point where you're over 50 in a test match. I know Afghanistan are a new team, yeah. but you know it's conditions that favor them. They've got more spinners than you can fit into an actual cricket team playing. Yeah, Conditions are in their favor for you to be able to put an in innings together like that, it felt like from an outsider point of view that that's the point where it switched over and from then on in, you started beasting everyone.
0: Yeah, I suppose once, I don't know when I first batted three for Ireland, but I haven't been given the nod to bat three in all three formats. It was kind of a light bulb moment that, you know, you, you are the main batsman here. You've got to be that man. So when you do get in, you've got to cash in. So that's the way I've kind of looked at it over the last two or three years. Before, I suppose, we had so much experience and run scorers in our, you know, you look at Ed Joyce, Niall O'Brien, those sort of two mainstays, I suppose, at the top of the order and the middle of the order. And then you take them out of the team and then you look down and you're like, right, well, I've got to get big runs, Purdy and Sterlo and then Kev in the middle. And so, you know, I was looking at that list going, right, I've got to score as many runs as I can in every game that I play. So I kind of tried to be as good as Ed Joyce, if you like, I've always looked at him as the guy I want to emulate. And. I've said it publicly that I still want to be the best batsman Ireland I've ever produced, and I've got a long way to emulate him, but I feel like if I keep working hard, I can maybe get close to the records that he smashed, but it's a long way to go, and he is where the bar is. All
1: right, well, we've talked up your test record there. 82, good score versus <laughs> Afghanistan. Let's talk T20. When you played for Middlesex, you played seven T20 games. You averaged 6.5 with a strike rate of 93. hmm <laughs> yeah, that's not. It's not ideal. I mean, basically, <laughs> that's like you're actually pulling runs away from your team at that point. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, exactly. And I've played six games. 2019 you averaged 31 with a strike rate of 146. So the rest of your career up until 2019, I think you'd average 23 with a strike rate of 123. That's a guy who's only just getting in a T20 side. A guy averaging 31 at a strike rate of 146 is close to first person that you're picking. What happens in 2019? Is that all confidence? Is there something in your T20 game that you changed?
0: No, I I don't think I changed at all, to be honest. I think when I was at Middlesex, I was doing well in the second level in T20 comps, like really well, like the sort of numbers that you've just reeled off by last year. But I think it was, again, the kind of mentality thing. So I'd like, gone into the first team for Middlesex and I just almost shit myself. Like I was coming into the bat now Morgans at the other end, Full House and Lords. And I just, I'd say I frowned, like I didn't really have any options. And so that was sort of 2014 where I played probably my most T20 games for Middlesex. Probably played a few actually in 2015. But because I just didn't feel a part of that team and maybe I always felt that I was playing for a place for the next game, and that's a horrible place to be. So I was so tentative. And then obviously the World Cup in 2015, I kind of arrived at, at Irish cricket, but I was still sort of not established in Middlesex. So then when I did get the opportunity, I had a couple of glimpses of what I could do in the first season, but still just wasn't nearly good enough. And I think it was purely a case of, am I good enough to play K to cricket? But clearly I was because I had done well in the World Cup, but it was just still at the back of my mind. So... I don't think I've ever changed my T20 game at all. I think I batted three, which is, I think, a great position, not an opening. I think they're the best positions because you're in the power play most of the time. And for a stroke maker like me, I can score quickly, by just piercing the field rather than, you know, I don't hit a lot of massive sixes, so I can get going quickly and then you're ahead of the eight ball and then you can sort of work it from there. So I think that's the kind of role of forty. and I think Wilson, when he was captain, because I wasn't even the Irish T20 team a couple of years ago leading into the India T20 games. And I think Hurley got injured and I was given the game against Scotland to bat three. And I think I got 80 yards off maybe 40 balls and I have kind of been in ever since. And I suppose with Kevin Serlo top going bananas, it's kind of nice for me to come in because I usually were off the a of flyer. So it's nice to be able to come in with the platform set. Out. The odd time I woke come off and you come in and eight or nine overs in and the field's out and one of the lads have got out haven't whacked it and you've got to kind of push it on and for someone like me, sometimes that can be the most difficult part about batting three. But yeah, I think purely from what you asked, what the difference is, I think it's just purely a confidence thing when it comes to T20 cricket. I've tried and it's probably taken a lot of chat with 40. Whenever I'm in the nets and I'm trying to whack at 40 has to come down and say, look, this isn't your game stick to what you're good at. <laughs> and that's just reassuring to kind of have someone like that to just say, look, you're not a Paul Sterling, you're not a Kevin O'Brien, you're Andrew Barberley, just play the way you play and we'll be in the good place.
1: So that series that you played against Netherlands and Scotland, which I suppose is almost like a early sort of qualifier, not just before the qualifiers. I know you played another preseason in Oman as well, but it was yeah. coming into the World T20. I just got the job with Scotland just before that, so I watched all the games. Yeah. And then obviously watched you again in the World T20 qualifiers. You were playing like you'd suddenly worked out the cheat codes to a computer game. (laughs) Like As an analyst, I never had to come up with a plan against you. But at that point, I'm not sure there was a plan. It was like you basically, anything on the offside, you were just on wheels. And then on the leg side, almost as good. And when they went short to you, it was like watching someone who had for years just been like, it was like Baby was in the corner. It's a very old movie reference there. And suddenly (laughs) she'd been taken out and she's this incredible dancer. I'd never seen a transformation that quick with a player where it was almost like suddenly you had worked out batting overnight. It must've been an incredible moment for you to go out against, and, and the Scotland team are very, very, decent bowling attack, but the Netherlands team, even a better bowling attack. And then in the qualifiers, again, against quality bowlers over and over again. I mean, mate, you were playing them with your third leg there for a while. <laughs>
0: it's not that big.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, but I suppose it's funny when you say, like, you didn't do any analysis on me. I think that beauty of having Sterling Cove at the top of the order is that a lot of bowlers and a lot of bowlers' meetings, I'd imagine when they play us, it's how do we kind of get these two or get one of these lads early yeah. and I can kind of just hopefully sneak in and do my business. Um, it's funny, like I think whenever I finish a game or I watch back a game where I've done well or done badly, like there's not a lot of difference. It's just, a, I suppose, an intense thing. Like I said, playing in the power play is brilliant. It suits my game down to the ground, especially on good wickets, particularly in the UAE. At the early stages of the competition, I think they're obviously a lot better than the back end of it. But yeah, I think it's just a confidence thing. And like I said, like I'm not going out and trying to absolutely nail the ball. I'm just going out there with an intent to hit boundaries and get myself in good positions from early. And I think that's a big part of my game in all forms of the game is the first 20 balls. First 20 balls in T20, you might be 10 balls or five balls, but you want to look like you're scoring. And it's something that Paul Sterling says to me at the start of the year. We've obviously spent a lot of time batting together and he saw the change from me coming out first ball And rather than just kind of tentatively hitting the ball I was actually hitting the ball to extra cover like I was hitting it hard to extra cover from ball one and he saw that in me and he'd know my game as well as anyone and he would consistently say that to me look you're coming out and you're looking to score from ball one don't change that whatever the format so it was just a a confidence thing and just kind of a belief in the fact that I could do it which probably stemmed from that three or four years ago so it's it's not kind of changing the wheel or anything like that. It's just going out with confidence and and knowing your game as well as you can and knowing what you can't do or can do.
1: And it did go to all formats. I had a look at your list A average in 2019 was 57 as well. So realistically, in all three formats, you arrived at the age of 29, didn't you?
0: Yeah, no, certainly last year was my most consistent year in all formats. We didn't play a lot of first-class cricket. Obviously, we had two test matches, but it's quite difficult. I don't think we're going to play a lot of first-class cricket. You've got to be honest about it. Over the next few years, we'll play test matches here and there, but a lot of our cricket is going to be 50 over and T20 cricket. And This new cycle now, which was obviously meant to begin against Bangladesh of so this one-day league and leading into the next World Cup is such a huge part of our plans going forward. Mine as captain leading this team into that next World Cup. Hopefully, it's obviously going to be re-looked at where we, the schedule is going to fit in, but that is still for me and Forty's main aims. Qualify for that World Cup. We've got a World Cup in October to look forward to it. all things going well. But yeah, I think 50-over and uh, 4A crickets probably suits my game the most, particularly 50-over cricket. Again, it was just the confidence of being told you're going to be the number three batter. I remember John Bracewell saying to me when he first arrived and I'd done a few sessions and he was like, look, you're going to be Ireland's number three in the next two or three years. So we want to get you ready for that. And I was a bit like, oh, I don't know if I'm a three. I don't really like three. I kind of, I'd rather open or bat four. But now I bat three in all formats. I used to be a bit like I don't have the pads on first up, because you could be in first ball, you could be in 20th over, but I've actually really bound to love the position. I don't want to bat anywhere else. So I'm very happy there.
1: So after all this, you finally worked out this whole batting thing and uh, making a great career off that, and Ireland come along and they offer you the test captaincy, or sorry, all formats captaincy. Yeah. What was your reaction at that stage? I mean, basically, Trent Johnston was an absolute legend, and then Will Porterfield did it 253 times. Mm. Sounds like a made-up number. Yeah. And then they come to you and they say, uh, do you want to take control? What were you thinking? Well, we came back from qualifiers, and I think the day after we arrived,
0: we all got emails saying we had our annual reviews mm-hmm. and annual chats with the selector, the head coach and the performance director. And I got my email saying, can you come to the Malahyde, uh, the Grand Hotel for 10.30 on Thursday evening? And I was like, fuck, like 10.30 in Malahyde. So I texted him, I was like, look, can we change that? But can I, will go at nine the next morning. He was like, no, no, we want to see you last. So I was being like, okay, well, not that you ever threatened to be asked to be captain, but you know, they're either going to sack me <laughs> or something's going to happen. So I remember going into the meeting and. They kind of talked to me about my year and that they were quite happy with me and what I'd achieved, and we feel it's the right time for you to take over. In tests and eyes, it was at the time. I was, I was shell-shocked. I was stuck for words for about five seconds. I obviously said, yeah, I'd absolutely love to do it. It's the biggest honor I've ever received in cricket. Something I've not done a lot of at the moment, but all the games that I've done, I've loved it and the group of players that we have now, it's exciting to see how they work and how they train and go out and, and, put that into practice in matches. Um, but I suppose at the time my girlfriend was in the hotel with me and we had dinner before, so it was just a hugely proud moment. And then telling my parents the next day, they were obviously over the moon and yeah, it was just a, a huge honor taking over from Ireland's greatest captain, Purdy, who's been brilliant. You know, he'd me the next day when he'd been told in the meeting that night as well. And he had nothing but good things to say and good luck messages. And if I ever needed a chat to him, he'd be there. And he has been, if ever we were in the Caribbean and. And particularly that second out of the eye, things were heating up and he was always there to kind of just ask his opinion or or something like that. So it was reassuring and still is reassuring to have him around.
1: And this whole podcast really been about how you've got to this position, you went from being the prodigy, getting the Middlesex gig quite early on. Then you had the injury troubles, you lost your contract. You have a moment in the World Cup where you get some confidence, but then that gets to your head a little bit and you, you lose parts of your game. Then you have to build yourself up again. In many ways, almost every player who's going to play under you is going to have gone through one of those things. It must be a huge advantage for you to have ticked off almost all the negative things on the way to getting this job. Yeah, I think so. I think you're
0: absolutely right. I think when you say it like that and you break it down like that, you do look back and go, wow, you've actually you've been through a lot and you've got through a lot. And I think I was chatting to someone last week about this whole quarantine situation and isolation and all that. And yeah, of course it's difficult, but you know, it's not difficult for us in the sense that we don't have to do anything. You know, there's a lot of people who are doing a lot of good stuff around the world who are in far, far worse positions than us. But I'm sort of able to deal with this, if you like, in this setback and this kind of doing nothing because I've done it. I did it for five months when I was injured and this is easy, if you like. It's just sitting around doing some exercises, jumping on the bike. It's fine and I think a lot of people will get injured there's we've a lot of great cricketers in the country, but naturally injury is part of the game and there are guys that are going to go through this and you know if I'm still captain and when these guys do get injured I'll definitely be a kind of person that they should feel comfortable talking to because I've been through it I know you know, I got a you know six months, five months layoff so that's as bad as you can really get as a curricular I suppose unless it's really like a bone break or something like that but I like to think that I'm approachable I'm, I'm very pally with a lot of the guys and through this time I suppose it's unknown territory for a lot of the younger guys and a bit of uncertainty so it's very important that I keep communicating to as many of them as possible that you might not hear of for a couple of weeks and just make sure they're okay taking over and, and dealing with this situation as best they can.
1: Beautiful. Thank you very much for coming on. Pleasure, Jared. Thanks for Thanks for listening to Red Inca. There is more information on my guests available in the show notes, including their Twitter profiles, if they have one. This is the important bit, though. Please review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere, really. Share it on all the social medias and just get it out there. If you can, act it out in plays on your balcony with your loved ones. This podcast is made possible by the people who support us at Patreon, so thanks to those who already do. And there is a link to Patreon in the show notes as well. Red Inca is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorison makes everything sound better for your ears. And the theme tune is called The Prisoner by the Red Crickets.